Lisa Day wasn't born in Darwin. She moved up from Melbourne in the 70s, seeking a fresh start with no baggage. That doesn't sound too unusual, does it? Well, just you wait. My name's Jess Ong, and thanks for listening to this podcast from Spun Stories. I reckon Darwin sees a lot of people land in her lap, eager to leave behind reminders of a life before. As you probably know, every family has a few secrets that tend to sit quietly within the four walls of the household. But this family secret of Lisa's started to seep through the cracks and out the front door. Now, Lisa has only told this story to a handful of people. And now, after a lifetime of carrying someone else's secret, she's ready to let it go. I grew up in the 50s and 60s in Melbourne. I lived with my mother, my father, my two older brothers and an older foster sister. We lived in one of those houses that has a bullnose front veranda with wrought iron lace, um, large front door with stained glass, long passageway with rooms opening off each side and the two front rooms had marble fireplaces. They even had bells for servants, but of course they didn't work. Now, I know you're thinking of one of those lovely restored Victorian homes, but our house was nothing like that. It was built in the 1850s of handmade bricks and it was very run down and in this terrible state of disrepair. My father was a carpenter. He was distant, a hard worker and a heavy smoker. He wore a bib and brace overalls with rulers in the pockets and he carried a Gladstone bag with all his tools. He caught the tram into the city for whatever job he was working on. My mother was very beautiful and much younger than my father. Life was normal at one time, I think, but I don't remember it because I've been told they went to the church up the street. My father played water polo with the, the cue baths and he was a member of the lodge. But all that changed when I was about three or four and Marlene came along. Marlene was tall and imposing. She had bright red lipstick, long dangly earrings. She wore very sensible dresses and sometimes she had petticoats that hung way down below them. She wore uh, stockings with seams and clumpy high heels because she had very bad bunions. Whenever I heard the sound of her shoes on the wooden floorboards, my stomach would sink and I would wonder why she was there and why my mother put up with her, but she did. Marlene absolutely adored my mother and tried to be as close as possible at all times. Dinner times were ruled by Marlene. She insisted on good manners and no speaking. She was very knowledgeable and well-read and she liked to talk about politics and she spent a lot of time talking about Menzies and Bolte and what was wrong with them. And I'm quite sure if she was around today, she'd have plenty to say about her present politicians. Right from the beginning, I knew that Marlene was a secret. She was not to be discussed either at home, no one explained her, or outside of home. My brothers found her very difficult to cope with and st stopped coming home often and eventually they got into trouble with the law and they were taken away to various boys' homes and I hardly ever saw them. 
Marlene was now not only there on the, on, during the week, but she also appeared on weekends. She moved into a, a bungalow at the back and that's where she stayed. If anyone came to the door, she could be seen scurrying out to, the, out to her bungalow or hiding behind doors. Sometimes there'd be a, a um, smoke coming over the top of a door and you'd know that she'd be hiding behind there. I don't know if friends or neighbours knew anything about her. Nobody ever sp spoke about her. If any of my friends came to, to get me, they usually uh, called out from the street, which was the, the way we did it in those days. I knew I was different from everybody else, but somehow I just seemed to cope. I finished primary school and went on to a girls' high school many suburbs away, which suited me fine because nobody knew anything about my background and I could keep my secret. I did keep it until about the second year of high school when I was involved in the girls' school swimming carnival. I arrived at school in the morning of the carnival and I could tell that the girls were whispering, but I wasn't particularly worried and I went off to the Melbourne Olympic pool to take part in a few races, a couple of which I won, and I wanted to join my class who was sitting at the very top of the concrete benches right near the roof of the Melbourne Olympic pool. I ran up the stairs and when I got there, I could see the class was sitting there all in a row. They were all staring at me, deathly quiet. And then one girl said, why does your father wear dresses? I was, I turned around and I can remember the feeling of the sensation in my legs and in my stomach. And I turned around and looked down the stairs and I thought, just let yourself fall. You'll never have to answer that again because you won't survive. I didn't. But I was just about to when a girl who had followed me up the stairs took me down the stairs and said, it's, don't take any notice of them. I don't remember if they continued to, to talk to me about that after that, but I do remember that the Beatles arrived in Melbourne very soon and they, they may have taken over. Home was becoming increasingly more difficult for me um, my father was dreadfully depressed about the way he was and he'd started drinking and he was drinking most nights, which made things incredibly unpleasant. I was desperate to keep him a secret and used to run after him in the mornings and make sure he didn't leave the house with earrings on. I find it very difficult now to even see men with earrings. <laughs> My brothers, when they came home, were never home for very long before they were taken away to some other institution and I hardly ever saw them. My mother at that time, was, uh, she coped by um, having relationships outside of home. She was teaching dancing for a company called Arthur Murray's, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, and she was very good and she must have met her gentleman friends there. There were many, but three that stand out in my mind were the, was the man who worked in a shoe factory and gave me two pairs of slippers. There was another man who used to bring her uh, My Fair Lady chocolates, uh, which was a great hit. And then there was the officer off the ship, the Vendetta, and she was very keen on him and I was afraid she was going to leave. 
but she never did. Eventually, she found a fellow who would stay. Why he would want to move into our family, I just couldn't understand. Now there was my mother, my mother's boyfriend, and Marlene all at the dinner table at the same time. Sometimes I used to sit there and just think, what is going on? I just couldn't understand it. Eventually, my mother was able to divorce my father when there, the, there was a no-fault clause. She was a very compassionate sort of person, and I knew she was never going to turn him out, that he would be with her for the rest of his life, which he was. She was also very entrepreneurial. She had lots of great ideas for businesses, but one that worked really well was a childcare centre that she started in our big old house. It had plenty of rooms for nurseries and um, playrooms, and it worked very well. She did extremely well out of that. My father, or Marlene, was out the back in the bungalow, and he knew he couldn't be seen, and he never was. I stayed at school as much as possible to keep away from home, eventually completing year 12 and going on to Turak Teachers College, which was a revelation in itself. I found out there that, that life could be pretty wonderful. You, there were three balls a year, there was lots of sport, there were lots of beautiful people who were nothing like me, but I, I somehow bluffed my way through it all. They even paid you to go there, which was even more amazing. I was, uh, I made a, a lot of friends, but one in particular, uh, who's still a friend today, invited me home to her place. Now, I had never been to anyone's place before, so it was a new experience for me. And when we got there, her mother suggested I stay for dinner. I stayed and... Her father arrived home late. He came in and was introduced to me and said hello and everything. And then he reached down to his youngest daughter who was closest to him and he gently touched her face. The moment was so tender, it took my breath away. And I just thought, I know what I'm missing out on and it's just not fair. Sadly for me, Everything came crashing down at the end of the end of my course and I failed because at the time my mother had decided to take herself off on to a, for a cruise as she was exhausted. My father had become an alcoholic and was in desperate need of, of support so I needed to be with him and I needed to run the childcare centre. And also at the same time, my youngest brother was involved in a court case that was going to be reported in the paper and I was terrified that, that um, all the girls from Teachers College would find out. At the end of that year, I was, couldn't work out what I was going to do. I didn't think that my studentship would be extended and I was feeling increasingly desperate about what my future was. And I, at the time, I attended a, a netball gathering because I'd been playing netball with the teachers' college with a team that the PE, teach, PE lecturer had organised. And I was sitting there on my own and her husband came and sat next to me and he said, and he asked me how I was. And I looked at him and I thought, maybe I'll tell him. <laughs> so I did and I told him everything. And the look on his face Told, told me that he was unbelievably shocked. He kept saying, the three of them, 
together in the one house. How does that work? How do you live there? Well, with their intervention, I was actually had my studentship extended and I finished the course and became a teacher. I also moved out of home and spent a year overseas. But I always felt incredibly guilty about leaving my mother on her own to cope with Marlene because she had to face many difficult times. And one of the ones that stick in my mind is when he developed the DTs and she said you'd never want to see someone with the DTs. Luckily for me, I met a man who was kind and gentle, wasn't interested in my background and didn't care anything about that and neither did his family. Well, I don't think his family does. They mightn't even know now. But we married and we moved to Darwin. Moving to Darwin was only meant to be for a year, but once we got here, we knew that we would stay as the sense of lightness I felt when we got here was just incredible. Nobody cared about your background. Nobody had ever asked me what school I'd been to. And it was just wonderful. We've been here for 44 years and we've never looked back. My mother eventually sold the childcare centre and she moved with my my now stepfather and my father to um, to the country and Marlene lived the rest of his life as Marlene and I hope that he found some sort of satisfaction with that. These secrets I've kept for so long but I just feel that Marlene deserved a bit better and that's why I'm talking about her today, that she should be brought out of the dark and into the light. She should never have been pushed away into back rooms and made to feel that she was anything less than, than what she was. And I'm just so grateful that people like her today do not have to live lives that are hidden away. While I didn't have a close relationship with my father, I know he's with me, especially when I look in the mirror. And also when I'm the first to pick up a hammer to try and fix something. But also in my political views and in my sense of social justice. But most of all, when I look down and I see my huge bunions. Thank you there. What a huge truth to carry for all of these years and now the lives and loves of Marlene and Gordon are finally set free. I produced this story of Lisa's with Gaya Osborne on sound editing and production and Sam Carmody, the master behind the music for our podcast. This is the last episode for season seven of our podcast. I hope these stories have taken you into new worlds and lit a match of curiosity for those around you. If you've spent time in the Top End, you might know the traditional custodians of the Darwin region are the Larrakia people. We're grateful to them as first storytellers and for welcoming us to their country. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening. <laughs>